Welcome to the Inspired Wild Podcast. I am Trevin Stoltzfus, your host, and I am sitting here with two guys that I've gotten to know over, I'd say over the past year, a lot better. Um, Davis Tents. If, if you've backcountry hunted, if you've done anything where you were basically setting up a base camp, you're going to be familiar with Davis Tent. So I got Chris Davis. I got Taylor. How do you say your last name? Ray- Raymond. Just like it sounds, or just like you would, it's spelled Raymond. Kind sure. of. Sure. All right, all right, all right. Because I didn't know if it was ramen, but then I didn't want to call you a noodle. That was my nickname in middle school. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> I've got lots of, of interesting nicknames that I was in middle school that we won't go into. Um, so, anyway, I wanted to get into today because uh, we just finished a piece, what, three, four, five months ago on the history of Davis Tent, and it was a fun project for me to work on because we took bits and pieces out of the story you told me when I came to the shop and picked up our wall tent. Um, but I, I let's I want to lay down the history because it's such a it's such a rich legacy, and I think people uh, when they see this piece that we put together um, that it will make a lot more sense. Perfect. So Chris. You are third generation. Correct. In this tent wall, I say wall tent, but really you guys also now have, I mean, you do do stuff for huge corporations where you'll set up these huge tents, build, custom build these huge tents. Um, But the majority of your business is probably going to be the hunters that are going to go and set up a base camp. Correct. You know, uh, hunters have always been our bread and butter to our company. Uh, we deal with thousands of hunters a year. Um, but like you say, we're doing more in the glamping industry and also the big corporations. Like we made a big tent recently for Black Rifle Coffee Company. Was that at TAC? Um, yes. Yes, it was. I got to see that. That's a, that, was, that looked pretty freaking cool. <laughs> that thing is decked out as about as good as you can do it right right now but if i if i remember correctly your grandpa that was not his first plan his first plan he was going to be a saddle maker wasn't he well yep um so my grandpa when he started his company started out as art saddle repair and he made three saddles um i still have one of those saddles which you saw at the shop right and the other two, he traded one of them off for a sewing machine that we're still using today. It's actually one of the machines we use every single day, and it puts all the seams in all of our tents. So that's a machine uh, my grandpa traded a saddle for that we're still using. And the other saddle he did, he traded that one off for some material and started making wall tents. And he said he'd never make another saddle again after he did those three. And, uh, well... The rest is kind of history. We, we picked up the ball and started rolling with it. Did he do that? Did he start making it for himself? Or did he, like his first tent that he made, was it somebody went to him and said, hey, would you make me a tent? So I have the second tent my grandpa ever made in my garage. And 
my grandfather and his hunting buddy, which was the first mayor of Dillon, Colorado, were going on a sheep hunt um, right out of Buena Vista on Tin Cup Pass. And he wanted to have a little backpacking tent. So he made a tent that's similar to our go tent now. And uh, that's kind of what started it. So he built one for a guy and then he really liked it tweak the design and that's the tent I still have in my garage that's now over 70 years old I set it up once a year in the backyard let it air out I don't take it anywhere it's more of a family heirloom than anything um, then he saw how to do it he knew how easy it was to do it and he knew there was a market and a demand for it so that's when he started making tents out of the garage on at first in Wadsworth here in Colorado he was in the garage for quite a while. Um, then the business got so big, he actually had to move it to the basement of the house. Wow. <laughs> There's probably all of a sudden you induce steps in something heavy like a tent, and <laughs> that changes everything. Right. He actually ended up building a, an addition onto his back of his house just so he could have a longer place to cut material. Before that, he was using a pool table. You would just put a couple pieces of plywood on a pool table, pull the material up and cut at the spec when he was first getting started. Then he built the addition. We put in a 30 foot cutting table in the basement of the house. And I am um, old enough to remember my grandfather still working in the basement of the house before my dad and my uncle even joined in. Which is pretty neat because I've seen the shop and my grandpa's company really develop over my lifetime. I'm going to take a selfie here because <laughs> that's what all the cool kids do. Um, so transitioning, needing more space, and is it, how long had... Now, the, the, you guys have already moved out of the building that I came to. Correct. But how long were you there? So the building that we met you in, we were there for 26 years. Okay. Um, finally ran out of room. We had stuff hid in every nook and cranny of that building as packed as you can get it. And it, it finally, we needed a bigger space. And now that we moved and got everything laid out, we need a bigger space. Yeah. <laughs> so your, your timeline, and, and I'm I, I, for the listeners, again, we'll will is the is the video is the film the short film that we made is that up on you guys' website yet it is yeah okay yeah. so we'll we'll uh, don't let me forget taylor let's do a shout out at the end so they can what because i really think along with this that's a great supplement to get some visuals that will help um we'll th throw that out on your timeline when was the what's the date we're talking about when he was starting and then like like his first tent made so his first tent he would have made in 1956 okay so 56 yes here we are 2021 yeah. and that building 26 years Correct. was that the longest time you were in one place at one constant or it would be close um we were there i'm trying to think how long he was in the house um probably about a wash there to be honest with you well isn't it incredible the growth curve if you it's it, you know math right you start looking at the exponential equivalence 
Pythagorean theorems. I'm just throwing out a lot of big words that I know that have to do with math. Um, but it takes so long to ramp up. And now you guys, the growth, you've probably seen, what, in the last five years, ten years? Uh, boy, I would say ever since 2002, it has just been on a, a rocket path. Right, right. And then and then with the, the COVID... It, it didn't you, slow you guys down, did it? No. When you thought you couldn't get any busier and that something like COVID happens, you know, I thought we'd be sitting around playing checkers looking for something to do. But it was the complete opposite. It took our company to a, a whole nother level. You know, mom and dad realized they couldn't take the kids to Disneyland anymore. So, hey, what are we going to do? Let's go camping. So not only are we still selling tons of tents to hunters who now have more time to do research at home, figure out what they're doing for hunting, buying tents. We had a lot of regular families calling as well that wanted to just go camping because nothing else was open. Well, Taylor and I had this conversation last year when I was scouting for moose. You couldn't find a spot to camp. No. Even, even just, I just wanted to go up there, throw up a little small, you know, three-man tent just to stay for a couple of days in glass. And if you didn't get up there in the middle of the week and set up a tent in a little spot, you couldn't find us. I mean, there was everybody from, I mean, RVs to to small little tents and everything in between. Yeah, so it was, crazy. it was, and um, people, uh, the, the woes of this pandemic COVID era for most people have been horrible and i i don't want to demean that you know the people that have lost loved ones stuff like that i mean it's horrible but for hunting and for camping and for outdoors stuff it is crazy it's unbelievable yeah. I mean, you can't walk into any major retailer and buy a fishing rod yeah or ammo to go shoot and hunt with you could see the growth in the outdoor industry just take off in the last two years. Uh, uh, what do you attribute that to? I know I have my own ideas, but what do you attribute it to? Ooh, um, you know, not only did this force people to get outdoors and be outside more, but in the hunting industry, I think a lot of people saw that as an opportunity to get away. So they were buying tags, like last year, Colorado's tags were way up on the rise. And I think a lot of people fell in love with the sport again as well. But I'd be interested to hear. What do you think, thoughts. Taylor? It's a good question. Uh, I mean, we've definitely done some some things differently uh, as far as like kind of the marketing side of things, like getting involved with, with guys like yourself. Uh, but, I mean, obviously, Corona did major, major things for anything in the outdoor industry. My th one of my theories, and tell me if you guys think I'm crazy, but I think in a way it scared people into, and when I say people, I'm talking about people that normally weren't the the bow hunting, the muzzle loading, the rifle community hunters, where if you open their freezer, 95% of the protein that was in their freezer came from King Supers, okay, or or, or the supermarket. Let's just use the general term. 
And when the supply chain, because of Corona, got disrupted, and you saw the toilet paper fly off the chart, uh, off the off the shelves, but it wasn't just toilet paper; it was milk. It was all these different because of supply chain. People got scared, and I think my theory is that some of those people, and let me just put a, a 23 to 45 year olds, said, all of a sudden they connected more with their food. And they said, how can I go out and hunt? How can I go out and do the things? And 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 there was the only place you could, as you shared earlier, take your family and go. You can't go to the dinner. You couldn't go to a theater and watch a movie, right? So what can we do? We can't go to Disneyland because that's the trip we had. That's, you know, and, so, and then all of a sudden it, re, it re-sparked this love for the outdoors, I think. I agree 100% with what you just said. You know, with all the phone calls we've been getting and sitting there talking to people and trying to figure out where they're coming from we dealt with a ton of newbies in the hunting world hey you know i picked up a a rifle last year i'm going out on a mule deer hunt this year and they would sit there and pick your brain on okay should i be sitting in a saddle in the morning when the sun first rises or should i be down in the timber and it's fun to engage those people that have never really been out before and try to point them in the right direction as well so you were not only helping them spec out their habitation situation in the on their maybe first hunt but you're also actually becoming a resource of how to be successful that's interesting um and i and it totally makes sense uh when you go and buy your running shoes at the running, you know, let's say you 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 go to a runner's roost or some type of specialty store as a runner. I expect to be able to ask the guy about the shoe and my gait and why I want to buy this shoe, which one's the best for me. And then, hey, I've been having, you know, these uh, shin splints. And I would expect he would know something about that. He's in a running store. So here you are. It only makes sense. Why would you ask the guy behind the counter that you just bought, uh, you know, a 6.5 Creedmoor from, what shell should I, you know. So it, it only makes sense that that correlation would happen. And now you guys, did you ever see that in the past, though, where people were literally asking your advice on hunting? You know, it was a lot of out-of-state guys would be asking us that question. Um, you know, guys from Missouri or Pennsylvania that can't come out and scout. Right. And they'd be like, hey, we're going to put in for tags for this unit. What do you know about this unit? Should we be on the west end of the unit, the north end of the unit? And you'd try to hold their hand the best you can as well. Um, without without the, pissing off all the locals right. that have been hunting there since the early 50s. Well, you make sure you send them away from your spot. That's, <laughs> that's a fact. Send them to Idaho. <laughs> hey, get this tent, come through Denver, get the tent, go to Idaho. Right, It's right on the way. Yeah. It just takes 70. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. Well, um, I would be interested to for, for somebody listening going, okay, you know, we've been backpack hunting and, and – let's 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 take a second and i've seen a shift you know in the early 2000s i worked with East, eastman's hunting journal and cameron haynes this whole backpacking on your back going out deep going no boot tracks you know this whole deal didn't start with cameron i'd say dwight Chu was the first one that really brought that and he's he's passed away god bless him um but i'd say cameron really elevated aaron snyder has taken it even to a different level okay but let's be honest. Nowadays, 
for those people listening that are thinking, I'm going to go 10 miles and, and they're fit, they get physically ready and they go and the 10 miles and they're sitting and there's a guy on that ridge and there's a guy on that ridge and there's a guy on that ridge. All of a sudden that isn't the lone, uh, virgin hunting territory anymore. What's, what's happening now because of that is where a wall tent becomes so important at your base camp and you're literally finding those holes that are two, three miles in that people are walking past or that people just can't get a mile off the road, just physically can't do it, aren't hunting. That's what we're looking for now. And that's where a wall tent situation, cots, because you don't have to pack them in, you can, you can set them up right there, but you're still able to cover that type of country and you're finding these little pockets of elk or mule deer or whatever that people are either walking by or they just didn't walk over that ridge and drop into that bowl. And that's those honey holes now. So I, I see that backpacking, because your stuff's not light, let's be honest. Right. If you yeah. got horses, beautiful. But if you're carrying it on your back, you're not, it's probably not going to be a wall tent. It's probably going to be some lighter fabric that maybe uh, three season or, or even two season if it's an early hunt. Um, wall tent you get the pretty much depending upon how much work you put into it to set it up and the necessities that you add to it it's a home away from home and it can be very comfortable um uh, have you seen this style increasing yes you hit the nail on the head you know when we go hunting we pack in on our mules seven miles and that's where we set up our camp and we set up with timbers and we set up our wall tent with the cots and the stove. And when I first started hunting with my grandfather, seven miles, you didn't see anybody. Anybody. Nobody. Right. And you know, you'd be up there for a week, 10 days, never see a soul. And the last few times I've been in there into our hunting spot, we get the tent set up, we get up early, get above tree line, dawn breaks. Oh, there's two hunters. Oh, here's three coming up this way. Is that somebody coming up that draw? Oh, it sure is. Yeah. And you're right. It, it, that two to three mile area now does seem to be the honey hole. And it's because of Cameron Haynes and Aaron Snyder, guys are seeing that and getting motivated and getting into great physical shape. And away they go. It's mm -hmm. amazing um, to see that some of those guys get in as deep as they do. But the wall tent crowd has really noticed, um, just like you say, that two to three miles, you're still getting away from all the, the road traffic and the guys, like you say, a mile off the road and being able to use their tent as a base camp scenario more successfully. I know we've got uh, a Unit 76, I say we, uh, one of my, uh, two of my producers, one drew the archery one drew the muzzleloader, so we're going to combo. It's Dustin and Tanner. Tanner drew the muzzleloader. Dustin drew the bow attack for Unit 76. Nice. Our whole plan is to set up the wall tent. It's going to be our base. We're going to have backpacks. And, again, this is a limited draw, so we're not going to see the type of pressure. I, I do assume that we're going to see some people back in there. I know. I think South Cox and Aaron Snyder both have landowner tags. I think they bought landowner tags in there. So they'll be back in there deep um but our our plan because it's limited is to be able to have a base camp um we'll we'll cook we'll we'll have a stove all that but we're also going to have some lightweight gear for 
two to three days. Now, we got to charge batteries because we're going to film it, right? So it's nice to have that base camp where we can have a, a, a generator, uh, a wall tent, nice cot. Um, and then when we get, if we need to, okay, hey, let's go drop in. We'll throw up a lightweight tent, you know, our bivy sacks or whatever it might be. And we're going to hunt that bowl for a couple of days. But then you come back and you're good to go. That's what I do a lot, especially during September. Yeah. Is I'll just set up a wall tent with the base camp and then have some sort of lightweight tarp, you know, Kafaru super tarp. Right. That something. thing's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and just go in and depending on where I shoot something, I can either pack it up to the backpack camp or. Or, or then you could just go to a road. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what I yeah. do. I love yeah. it. Well, what advice would you give to somebody who sees this heritage laid out with Davis tents and is like, okay, I'm I'm there. Um, I mean, will you help them spec out what they need? They're going to walk into the shop, see all these amazing photos. And, you know, I use some of your old photos in the film and stuff. And it's just cool to see that progression technology hasn't changed that much you're still using the same sewing machine um you have made a few changes on your canvas right you you're coating your canvas a little bit now um really that part hasn't changed oh it hasn't no so technology we're still you're still using that same because like i've had mine now i've only had it for your well by year and year and a half now because i think i got it about or this time last yeah last year when we started scouting um and you told me set it up let it get wet leave it set up let it dry because that's going to help and you that was huge that was huge but um i even kind of set it up over winter for a little while use it as a poker tent at my house because i got some ground there you know and i had my 50th birthday party and the huge snowstorm came in and uh, that was in march of this year and i mean we got six 16 18 inches of snow and here we are you know playing poker inside because we got the stove and stuff like that. so I, i've even used it more than just the hunting aspect but the tent just i mean it, it looks brand new still um I, I i does have some magic marker in it where we've signed it after each hunt but that was kind of one of the things we talked about i wanted to do that to create that wall legacy on that panel of all the hunts that have happened in that so right but what how would you help you know what what would you tell somebody said here's what i want to do you know probably the biggest piece of advice i could give to somebody that walks into the shop is i try to pick their brain first and okay what are you doing in the tip how many guys are you doing are you eat cook sleep the whole nine yards in there are you just using it as a sleep tent and the reason i ask these questions is a lot of times guys need to go bigger you know they'll say oh i got four guys we're gonna eat cook sleep in there i think that 12 by 14 is perfect and then you really want to help them hold their hand and make sure they're not gonna have to buy another tent next year so i'll sit down we usually let me stop you you realize this is goes against everything marketing that we you're not supposed to (laughs) help somebody avoid buying a tent the next year but i understand why you're doing it right you want them to make a wise purchase that's going to fit all their needs wants and desires and sometimes they don't even know what those are exactly yeah you know it's nice having a couple tents set up at our shop so you could take them into a 12 by 14 we'll grab four cots say here you go play around with it how are you going to get these in here 
and then you take them into the 14 by 16 and you get the four cots and you'll lay it out for them and show them how much more room there is even though you're only going two foot wider two foot longer it makes a hell of a difference and you just want to be able to to make sure you're giving your customers the right thing and that's kind of going the extra mile yeah we could have sold them a tent next year when they realized the 12 by 14 was a little small but that's not what we're about right. um, so that's a big one guys always come in and don't know what size and then we we hold their hand through the treatments as well what's the difference between water mildew or the water mildew and fire um, which is great that hasn't changed at all since my grandfather first started making tents and you know why improve on perfection that sun forager treatment being a lifetime treated fabric and a dry finish is the Cadillac in the industry. Even if you don't buy a tent from us, I still think you should buy a tent that says Sun Forager mm -hmm. because that really is the top of the line. And that's that's something that, that's why you have 70 year old tent in your garage that you set up at once a year just to just to make, you know, let it let it air out and stuff like that. Exactly. Is because you have that quality to start with. I know so many people that try and save 15 cents and it costs them a dollar later and you know you, you you do that enough times and you go okay that's stupid i invest the money up front and 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 it and it lasts longer yep, and I, you'll you can be happier right yeah my grandpa always told me buy once cry once right buy the best and take care of it and it should last you right 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 yeah that's good stuff um some of my other questions and some of the other things i i really want to share with the listeners are uh, first of all was the heritage i wanted you to share that story because i think that connection that you've had over the years here you are um we got a picture of you i think you were two or with your uncle oh, yeah. in the backyard was that right were you two or three maybe you were a toddler i was barely walking okay. so i was probably one and a half two years yeah. old and and that's you know your, your uncle, you guys were had set up a tent, I think, in the backyard or something, doing something, and there you are. And here we are, you know, uh, just a few years later, uh, <laughs> and and now you're looking back with not only a legacy in your family, but, but a lifetime of experience right. being around these. Yeah, you know, what's really neat, and I, I touched on it earlier, is I've grown up with the business. So not only do I remember running around being a pain in the butt, my grandpa's butt, um, in the basement as a kid, messing around with all the sewers down there, jumping in piles of canvas as a toddler, to now, you know, being the production manager and running the company and making sure products get out, I got to see all of that escalate to where we are at now. Uh, what's really neat is really to me grandpa started making tents in 1956 but the history really starts at 72 that's when he really was doing it full time mm -hmm. putting his boots on the ground and going we always had a 14 by 16 set up in the backyard my grandpa had an ad in the paper that was the only advertising he ever did was in the classifieds he'd put 14 by 16 set of poles 600 bucks and I remember guys coming to the front door, ringing the doorbell, and I'd run up as a five, six-year-old kid, open the door, and they'd be like, oh, we're here to buy a tent. And I, <laughs> my grandpa would tell you a funny story, but 
oh the tent's two hundred dollars it's in the back and they go and they'd always end up buying the tent but they're like hey the kid told us it was just two hundred dollars at the front door why is it six now and, uh, my grandpa always says I could sell a wall tent since I was a little guy, five, six years old. I'd take guys back there if he was busy and show them the, the tent and, oh, this is the stove jack. This is how the window works. Here's the poles. Here's how you do the side poles, the ridge pole. Uh, so and then if we progress a little bit, my dad joined in 1992. My dad started working with my grandfather. And we took the company from the basement of our house and moved it over to Inglewood. And we were there from 92 to 98. I believe it was 98. And then my uncle started working there. Um, my grandpa, at this point, built the building where you came and picked up mm -hmm. your tent. And we moved our production facility once again. And now my grandpa was on the brink of retirement and he kind of faded out and my dad and uncle picked up the ball and rolled with it um, and then the growth from probably 2002 to where we are now has just been a phenomenal ride it's it's been a lot of fun but to watch it from about i'd say 2002 to now has just it's mind-boggling to step back and look at it to see all the growth we've done and your grandpa is he still alive Yes, he's still kicking, just not as high. Right, sure. So how does he feel looking at this now? Is I mean, there's got to be a sense of pride. There's got to be a sense of, hey, they're still doing it right. Right. You know, my grandfather actually came by the shop yesterday. Oh, cool. Um, it, it, it doesn't matter. My grandfather, he'll be 100. He'll walk into the production area and he'll just find a chair and he'll sit down and you could just see the the gears turning in his head oh she's doing a good job she needs to turn this a little bit more oh when they're measuring tents they could be doing this and this and yesterday i let him sit there for about 10 minutes and then i walked up to him and i said hey old man how the hell are you i said i'm doing good i'm like well what are we not doing good today he looked around and it's the new building new layout and i I'm proud of what we've accomplished in the new building. It's only been eight weeks now, but to see our uh, production line running is phenomenal the way we've set it up. And I asked him, I said, well, what would you have done different? Because he has always had a great point of view on things like that. And he, he sat there and he looked and he looked and he looked He said, you know what? I don't think I could have done it any better. Wow. So I was pretty proud to hear that yesterday, and I know he still has great pride in it, just like you say. That's that gives me it gives me goosebumps, man. <laughs> that is awesome, and and the fact of the matter that the man who started it could sit down like a fly on the wall and watch and and then say you did good. Yeah. That's gotta oh that's got yeah that's cool. Um, so your dad your uncle um now you um when you sh how old were you when you officially were on the book started where i know you've been working there for six years but when how old were you when you officially started working there well um full time i started in 05 okay um, before that it was every summer every right sure sure you know spring break holiday i was down there but yeah i started in 05 um <laughs> and you know most bosses sons usually 
get a, a leg up or a, an upper hand well that that wasn't the case in the davis family you you start at the bottom work. and you work your way up so i for the first five years of my career down there i was bagging stakes and cutting rope and those are the two jobs that everybody tries to avoid because it's just mind-numbing um, but you i think that's really helped me succeed too and it's yeah, I know how to do that. I could do that, no problem. But it, it gives you more puzzle pieces to put the puzzle together later down the road. So it's nice starting at the bottom. And then I jumped in um, at the metal shop, which I loved as a kid. That was always the, the area I was in anyway. But I would jump back there, make poles, um, cut frames, weld angles. Then I moved over to our cutting, uh, cutting table and I learned how to cut tents and then I learned how to seam I learned how to fold so I got to progress through my 16 year career and it it's it's been a fun journey what was the one thing as you started to get older and realized you were going to step into more of a managerial uh, position what was the one thing that you wanted to implement? Now, your grandpa now said, hey, you did a good job. <laughs> what was the one thing you're most proud of that you took from grandpa, then to dad and uncle, now to you? What change did you make? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um... <laughs> workflow? Was it a little was bit it of workflow. the way you set things? I mean, everybody looks at something a little bit different, you know, and having been there so long because you were around even like i said i mean i got pictures of you when you were two um you had to have said something that, man i think it could if we change tweak this one little thing it would maybe we could produce faster or maybe we could uh promote the you know what whatever it might be you know my dad he took a big step and he put us online my dad built our first okay. website when we still had dial-up and he did a great job on it one thing i probably did to help us was force my dad and my uncle into making movies and putting them on youtube and then i kind of picked up the ball and i was making the the short films the mm -hmm. how to put your stove in a stove bag yeah. just little videos like that um, Which I, I have actually gone and watched a few because <laughs> I just realized I didn't need to call Taylor on everything. So, and you do. You have a plethora of, okay, here's how you do it. A minute and a half, boom, done. Right. But that's very helpful. Right. And I've, I've really tried to instill us doing more and more videos. Um, that's probably the one big thing I've done. You know, small little tweaks here and there. Um, you know, we used to cut frames a little bit different when my grandfather and my uncle and my dad were doing it where now i i've kind of switched a couple of things up in there to make that more streamlined but grandpa pretty much had the the best layout as far as tents go there was really nothing you can improve there you know he my grandpa by far and away i've never met a man that's read as much as him and he's probably in the last 10 years handed me 10 bucks just about henry ford in the production line mm. he's like you got to study the greats to understand what you're doing mm. so not only do i have my grandpa to rely on who's been a wonderful source of information 
now I'm really diving deep into what Henry Ford did with the Ford plant right. and trying to implement some of those things into oh. our production line as right. well. Wow. That's pretty cool. Okay. Last question. And Taylor, you jump in here too. Where's, well, no, before we do this, I, this is a question I've wanted to ask. Glamping. Let's talk about glamping. And then I want to ask you where you see Davis tents in 10 years. But let's hold that for a second. Glamping. I know it's huge. I, I see um, you. It's almost faddish. And especially since uh, COVID, I could imagine that that category of your business has just blown up. What is glamping and how the heck did that get started? <laughs> glamping. Glamorous camping. Right. Um, and you're right. Since COVID has hit, that market has just exploded with tents. And it's all about getting the women outside. You know, my grandfather has said men have been glamping forever. That's what they have done when they've gone hunting. The women figured it out. Mm. and the things that I'm seeing done with our tents has just been phenomenal we have a tent I shouldn't say a tent we have eight tents up in the flat tops area um, one tent is a five star dining lodge the one tent that just blows my mind there is their massage tent you go in this tent is built over uh, the river there and it has a glass bottom in it <sighs> So when you're sitting in that massage table and your face is stuck in that little hole, you're looking down into the river and watching the fish swim by you. I would need to pee so bad. <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. But also at that same resort, you know, you walk into your your room, another tent, and you have a king bed set up. You got nightstands. You have a dresser. You have all the amenities of the Hilton in your inside a wall tent. Yeah. And people are really liking it. Not only does it feel like you're in a hotel, but you open up that front door, you open up a window, and the view's a hell of a lot better than seeing downtown. Right. So that market has just exploded. What would you say is a percentage of hunting, like what we would consider hunting type customers to uh, Airbnb glamping type stuff? You know, two years ago, I would have said glamping would have been 10 to 15% of our business, 20 on a good year. Last year with COVID happening, it was probably closer to 35 to 40%. Wow. It has just skyrocketed. Um, and glamping's been around for a while. People are, it's kind of weird. People call us and say, man, we just saw this glamping. We want to be part of this new industry. And I, I'm like, well, it's not really new. It's, right. it's 15 years old. Right. Um, the first glamping tent I could ever remember, and I have pictures of it, was a, a doctor and his wife were going to build a house out in Elizabeth. And he convinced his wife, let's buy a tent and live in it for two years while we build our house. And any of the money we save on rent or mortgage, I'll let you have for furniture. And they set this tent up and they had a bed, the futon, the TV, the whole nine yards in there. And that was the first one I remember. But now like we have the San Diego Zoo that has about a hundred of our tents where you and your family of four could go and spend the night in there 
and see uh, all the animals right out your front door. Wow. That, that is cool. That's cool. So that was just one project you worked on. Just one. Yeah. You know, we have tents on the beaches of Costa Rica. We have tents in South Like a cabana. Yeah. Basically a wall tent cabana. Yeah. That is crazy. Now, what is the most unique request you've gotten? Surely. Ooh, uh, within reason right you know one that jumps out to me was for a lady in california uh, she built a treehouse for her kids and she wanted a tent on top of this treehouse so we built her a very custom tent because it had to go between four trees. I can't remember the size off the top. And, of my head. and so I'm assuming she built a frame. She built which a platform. is the platform, and so then, and the, then we put the canvas on top of that platform for the tree house. But you had to customize that, right? And okay. not only was it a custom size, which is not really a huge deal, but she put like uh, AC into that tent. So what she did is she called and told us her dimensions of her window AC unit, like you would have in your house. And we would cut in a, a piece of canvas and a sleeve so that air conditioner could slide right into it. And then now she has air conditioner in her tree house. That's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. The one that came to mind for me was that one out by DIA, that like 100 footer. Remember that story? Tell it. I don't. I don't remember. Which 100-footer are you talking about? It's the biggest one you ever made. Well, the biggest tent we ever made was actually for Norad Mountain down in Colorado Springs. Is that the one you told me about that you went and put up? It was humongous? Yes. And then they just left it? Yep. And they didn't... (laughs) And it literally just the wind and they and they never would adjust it or fix it or whatever and yeah yeah here i'll give you the reader's digest version um tent was 80 foot wide 210 foot long took my grandfather my dad and three other men and myself as an eight-year-old boy uh three days to set that tent up and we've set it up it was up for i believe a month and nobody ever went and checked on it never tighten the ropes something you need to do on a tent of that magnitude um well any tent really right and then i believe they had a microburst of 90 mile an hour winds and it just took that tent and threw it up on the power lines and they called us and said hey this happened what can we do my grandfather well we'll come back out and set it back up and get you back to where you need to be but you have to have somebody check on the tent and they hung up. We got a call back about an hour later from them, and they said, don't worry about it. We're just going to use it as tarps. So that's your, your government money right there getting spent. But that, that's... <laughs> what was the height of the, uh, of, the, of, the, of the rafter, the main beam? The peak height on that tent had to be... Because it's so long, right? Foot. Right. It, it, yes. It because was so you, wide. You, that's and you need it to peak. be able to... to to, to have snow load, but yet also, uh, what would you call it, an angle so the snow will slide. Right. You know, with the walls being seven feet on that, I'm going to say our peak height had to be about 18 to 19 feet. And now you're wondering, what what did an eight-year-old boy do on right. that project right. to help out? <laughs> Without my, getting in the way. My job was to crawl on top of the tent and put a ring over the center mass poles. 
so I would crawl up and there was a rope tied to each ring, two rings, or two ropes tied to the ring. I'd put it over the pole and then that would get tied off as well. So I, gotcha. I was crawling all over the top of that thing, using it as a slide as an eight-year-old boy. That's cool. That's cool. Okay, Taylor. So where do we see, what, what is Davis, what's Davis tent going to look like in 10 years? That's, that's a real good question. I mean, I think my vision would be, you know, we're the, the number one uh, canvas tent maker, not only in the United States, but almost the world as far as people think about a canvas wall tent, they think Davis tent. It's almost like Kleenex. Hey, let me have a Kleenex. Well, what, what do you, you want a tissue, but you say Kleenex because it's a name brand. Davis tent is, it, at least in my world, um, you know, Davis tent is wall tent. Yeah, that, that that's what I'd like to, to get in 10 years. We'll, we'll see. We're slowly. How? I think that's the million dollar question. <laughs> well, I, I see you're increasing in, uh, in, like social media. You guys are starting to really make a presence there, not because you didn't, but because I think you're you're putting you've you've had the response from your customer base, and now you're able to share that with the world of all of these glamp glamping photos that you get. Like I I follow you guys, and I it's I'm looked at some of those things, and I'm like, man, my wife would even stay there, you know, <laughs> you know. Um, I think uh, the way you're also. Uh, making lifestyle films i think that's huge just for relatability um i think that's a good platform you guys are starting to do that and and uh you're very active in the colorado environment hunting environment uh, i mean I, I i'm very involved so i see you pretty much everywhere i i, I mean we ran into each other at tack and i mean you guys are involved in colorado i'm sure that will even grow as you as you move out what's hard for your business is it's not like a oh we're going to open a shop in texas well okay then you need another sewing machine then you need another chris you need another taylor you know you're, you're basically doubling what you're going to do and it doesn't make sense versus having it made here and shipping it yeah shipping's a little expensive but it's you can control everything in one location so you don't you're too big of an operation manufacturing wise to double yourself but you're also growing by leaps and bounds that's why you moved to your new location you Correct. know so oh, it'd be interesting to see for me i love the connection you guys always have with where it started it brings to mind the old felt hat the red flannel shirt mm -hmm. the mule picketed outside the wall tent just like the photos you know um, and that's what it brings to mind and there's a connection to me with my grandpa and that style of hunting in New Mexico so to me just seeing that takes me back to that connection which was the start of my hunt so that's why it's so attractive to me and now I get to have all these adventures you know, right. so I don't know. That's it's kind of cool. Yeah, I like to say that I grew up basically on Divide Road in between '61 and '62. Right. I know you've got some experience over there. Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, grew up in Junction, and right. we basically set up a wall tent Fourth of July weekend, and then scouted every single weekend up there mm -hmm. till about second season, and mm -hmm. then we'd take it down, go put it somewhere in Unit Forty. Mm -hmm. uh, I just have that strong connection just growing up hunting 
mm-hmm. and just having that wall tent. It's just kind of classic old school feel. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, any parting words, any words of wisdom? How about your kids? Are they are they now jumping into the bundles of of canvas sitting there? I mean, is it do you see my little daughter, she's 3 years old. She comes down to the shop all the time. Uh and yes, she is just a, a chip off the old block, which is not a good thing. <laughs> She, she's cute. She's, she's cute. Thank God she's cute. But yeah, she, uh, you know, she'll come down. I'll throw her in canvas like my dad did to me. You pick her up by the, the belt and toss her right in and walk away and see if she can get out. Um, but I'll, she loves the outdoors. Mm-hmm. And it's great to see that in such a, a young person. Like, I'll set up a tent in the backyard. That's better than the TV or the tablet to right. that kid we'll sit out there and we'll act like we're going on a bear hunt even mm-hmm. if we're just airing out the tent to dry right. it out or she loves just to, to come down to the shop and see all the mounts she'll point it out dad that's that's the best mule deer on the wall mm-hmm. you're like well that's pretty close but actually that one over there and, mm-hmm. but she you can see all that in her head click with her and it, it's really really fun to see that yeah i'll bet I, I I can definitely tell you what not to do, because uh, I don't get to just go hunting. When I go hunting, I'm testing like all these sure. you know, new ideas and new products that sure. we're doing. So last time I took my family up, we got a 14 by 16, 14 by 10, and a seven foot awning, and I was testing out this new stove design, and I had my negative 33 degree sleeping bag, so I, I was fine. My, my, we only had like a 30 degree bag for my wife and then I had two young kids one and three and it stove stopped working and it was a new new design and I didn't wake you know I didn't wake up because I had a negative 33 I'm, I'm fine sleeping there my wife gets up she was not happy so she's not real happy with that so this whole winter uh, this past winter I had a 14 by 16 set up in my backyard uh, you know, testing out the the second version of that, just trying to get it to work. So, my kids love staying in the wall tent, but I got to make sure that what I'm using actually works, and not testing out new stuff. Right? Yeah. yeah. Or you got to have a backup. I uh, <laughs> I took my my nephews and my daughter turkey hunting, and I knew it was going to get cold. Um, I knew it was going to get real cold, so I brought each one of them two sleeping bags, both zero degree bags, but double. And I was so glad because it got down to minus two degrees. And this is turkey hunting, but it just was a storm. And then by the time we left, it was 60. You know, just crazy. But luckily, that one night, double ply, right? (laughs) And then they, uh, at least they they stayed comfortable and and went from there. So, yeah. Yeah. But you live and you learn. They live and they learn. Well, um, you guys going to be at full draw? Because uh, any of you guys, no. I'm just thinking of some of the local. Yeah. We're here at the Alpha Bow Hunting Finals right now, which is always fun. You guys gonna um, hang? You're gonna hang out all weekend, right? Yes, sir. Um, and uh, so I, I'm just thinking of the next time I'll see you guys. If not, I might have to. I need to swing by the new shop anyway. Yeah, you need to come and take and a look. take a look. At, I'm excited to see that. So yeah. yeah. Well, this has been something we've talked about doing for a while. And so I'm glad we finally put it on the calendar, sit down, and talk about the history of uh, Davis Tents. 
Taylor, talk about where that people can go now and watch the promo film. Yeah. Um, so if you just go to our uh, website, davistent.com, uh, and just scroll down, about like halfway down, uh, is that film uh, that you did for us that we published through uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's there. Yeah. And uh, that film is just amazing. Yeah, you did. I wanted awesome. to thank you on well, the podcast. Well, here's the deal. That was just a little tiny portion of what I wanted to do. But we were trying to get it to a timeline. I mean, the cool thing is we, did the, we took the time to get more and more we have a lot more. It could have been a longer film, um, you know, and, and, and of course, my film that's in the full draw film tour doesn't doesn't go into depth into Davis tents. But, it you know, Davis tent played. It was our base camp on that moose hunt. You know, so it's in there. But I'm looking forward to it. I think that this is going to be something that I, I hope I can keep doing it because I keep telling these stories through film stories that engage the heart and stories that en- that encompass the ethos or the really what Davis 10 is about which is family which is heritage which is our hunting together and th- and, and and like we talk about in the film just the fact that if these walls could talk if these canvas walls could talk oh the stories they would tell and that was the premise that we had what would this tent if it could talk tell about and i mean i think i even had that that idea when we first started talking in your office i'm like oh i got an idea which some of those let's be honest aren't very good but this one was (laughs) this one was phenomenal you did such a great job of capturing the the whole heritage of it 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 really touched me and i loved it my grandfather my dad and uncle they all enjoyed it they they really thought you did a great job then i don't care who else sees it is because that's really the the who i was trying to play homage pay homage to was that that heritage and you did a phenomenal job good good well guys i gotta go get ready to go shoot some arrows and uh run around and be the alpha bow hunter that I know I can be inside. All you got to do is take <laughs> down James Hardesty today. Oh, I just oh. Got, I'm gonna have to. <laughs> Good luck. I'm gonna somehow have to hamstring that guy. But uh, I brought a set of hobbles. We'll yeah, just throw we them on. Yeah, I keep trying to get him to look away and just tie his shoelaces together. At least give me a head start. Um, but anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. And as always, uh, we appreciate. Uh, check out DavisTents.com. And uh, you've been listening to the Inspired Wild Podcast. God bless, and we'll see you down the trail.